Look at my butt. Show number 281 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. Well, listeners, it's October. It's a new month. The month of September lasted approximately 250 years. <laughs> yes! But we did make it through, so let's all pat ourselves on the back Yay! just for making it through. Yay, yeah, I feel us. pretty good about Yay, that. Yes. So, so now we have a new month to make it through. We we wanted to first, before we jump into the Bill stuff, because there's so much Bill stuff oh to my talk God, about, yes. is the complete mess of rumors and facts surrounding Star Trek movies. Mm-hmm. I, I think the bottom line is nobody knows right now. I think so, too, because first there was... Uh, Paramount, um, who mm-hmm. controls the movie side, is uh, not going to make any more. In the mm-hmm. Kelvin universe, in any timeline, then the next thing, no, no, we haven't decided that. But as you say, nobody really knows. But I'm thinking they're starting to wonder if they are oversaturating, which mm-hmm. I think should be mm-hmm. a real concern. Definitely. Most definitely. And you know, it seems like a weird trade-off that they're not, the stuff that they spend on the TV shows gets so much better return than they do for the movies. Yeah. You know, that it's cheaper, I think, to make the TV shows and they're a continuing series and you get people turning in, tuning into them and then you have them for syndication where the movie is just such a big, huge investment for that one hit, even though I know they sell DVDs and things like yeah. that. but. And as we have discussed in previous shows, Star Trek does really lend itself far more to the episodic nature of television than mm-hmm. it does to the movies, unless you have a really, really good plot. And I think we're going to talk about that later because you forwarded a very interesting article. Okay. But I also wanted yeah. to say I read an interesting article that I d- did not send you, but mm. it was talking about why the Star Trek movies, although they all make money, um, does not make the big Star Wars or um, Marvel Universe money, and mm-hmm. it's because even the ones that you and I think suck, <laughs> they still have a certain element of original series color to them, which is that it's supposed to be more about the characters, more about something mm. thoughtful rather than chasing and punching and blowing up. And uh-huh. so when they make a chasing, punching, blowing up one... That doesn't do well because the fans who like the non-chasing, punching, blowing up go, I hate this. I, I, I barely sat through it once. I'm not going again. Yeah, I totally agree. And also, all other movies do the the punching and yeah. chasing and blowing things up. Like, why do we need Star Trek to do that? Mm-hmm. I can see that in any movie. Literally any movie that you go to see has yes. chasing and punching and blowing things up. Yes. So, yeah. so um, That's a really good point. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. Totally agree. But I really do hope that Kelvin timeline is dead, dead, dead. That would be good. Yep. Let's see. So let's talk about William Shatner. I oh, like William yeah. Shatner. He's a very good actor, and he is doing an awful lot of stuff. And one of the things he did, which we mentioned in the previous show, was that he was a guest in a film class at King College up in, uh, I believe it's New Hampshire. And just like regular college, I overslept and didn't go to <laughs> class. <laughs> I screwed up the time thing. <laughs> 
and the time cops are going to be beating down my door they any minute. Will. They're <laughs> so mad at you. It, it was very, very interesting. So I want to offer my thoughts. And then one of our listeners, Sherry, also had some good thoughts. And I agree with her for the most part about this. So it was, uh, I think, as we had mentioned, there. it's a very small class. There were like six students in the class, but then 500 people were able to watch. The people who were watching, like me, mm-hmm. were not allowed to ask questions. Only the students were allowed oh, to ask questions. Oh, okay. Well, still observing, auditing is a good thing. Yeah, it, it was good. I thought it was very Put good. Put it on your so resume. I'm gonna, <laughs> I I guessed attended a class that William Shatner did. Yeah. So I will read Sherry's comments because she does a, a good summing up of some of it. Okay. Um, so the public was invited to attend. What caught my eye, she says, is that the professor conducting the meeting is the one who's now editing Bill's documentary about the ride. And we knew that Mm -hmm. um, when he rode his motorcycle years ago from Chicago to L.A. Bill's talked about it numerous times at old conventions and the Galaxy Con sessions, if you've watched them. Apparently, he has tons of unedited footage. And that's true. He had mentioned Mm -hmm. as they were talking about it that he has just hours and hours and hours of footage and that's why he couldn't find anybody to edit it down because it would have meant months in the editing room just to review it and to to choose what it is and so this guy uh decides that he's going to do it tom cook so the class is about making documentaries and specifically about editing which i didn't realize until they started talking in the class so it was a course in career development mm-hmm. and having bill be there i think is sort of the perfect thing well yeah because who else can you think of who has literally never ever worked another type of job mm-hmm. never right. drove a cab waited tables none of that yep. and and he has done almost every part of the job yes. that is being a, a performer. So he's he's acted, he's written, he's directed, he's, he's produced. produced. <laughs> uh, I, I think he's probably done some editing, maybe not sitting at the machine, but he's been, you know, he's looked over the shoulder of the person and made those editing choices. Mm-hmm. He's contributed to soundtracks, you know. Those productions that he did, like for Chaos on the Bridge and mm-hmm. Captain, those were all him. Like, yeah. those were his I production like those. Yeah. Thankfully, he has never done costume design. No, no, I, I don't think anybody would trust him with that. Yeah. One of Bill's dogs made an appearance during the meeting, and that was kind of cute. Yay. His dog just kind of walked in and just laid down at Bill's feet. Aww. One of the incredibly interesting things he said was that he's doing another interview show. <gasps> Yay! Oh, Ron yeah. Earth was such a good show. Such a good show. So he didn't say what it's called or when it's going to air. He just said that he had interviewed a famous writer for his new interview show. So that's awesome. I am totally psyched about that. Oh, good for him. Yeah, that was nice. He... So the the way that the, the class was structured was he and the professor had a little banter at the beginning where they just talked about stuff. And then... It went into him individually talking to each of the students in the class and really quizzing them about what they were doing and getting them to explain it. And I thought that was kind of brilliant. The kids were not prepared. Of course. I don't, they hadn't really discussed that this was going to be the format, but Bill being Bill, he just took control and it was mm-hmm. like, this is what we're doing now. So he asked them, what are you working on? How are you doing it? How are you finding the characters? How are you shooting it? What kind of camera are you using? Like he just got into the <sighs> nitty gritty details of all these things. And I felt like for these students, this was an amazing way to be taught about what 
it's like, right? Mm-hmm. When, you, when you have an idea, when you have a pitch, you need to be able to say that thing yes. in two sentences at the most. Mm-hmm. This is my idea. This is how I'm doing it. And this is why you should be interested. And he really pushed all these kids to do that. And it was great. It was just really, really good. I felt a little sorry for the first two or three people <laughs> because they were really like, uh, uh, yeah. and, and there you are talking to William Shatner and he's going, how are you financing your film? <laughs> oh my God. You know, they're college students. They don't know. They don't know anything. So by the time he got around to the other kids, they sort of were a little more prepared right, and right. were able to say things. And most of them had pretty good ideas for what they wanted to do. And most of them had ideas that grew out of their own experience. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, that's, that's great. But he totally forced them to say things that were important and to get their shit together. I, I can't say it any other way. Just his whole thing was get your shit together. If you want to do this, if you want to make this your career, you can't, if, if you really want to do this and it's, and he pulled no punches and said, it is very hard to do this. Mm-hmm. How wonderful for them that he approached this seriously. Yeah, totally seriously. Um, just that you have to be a hundred percent prepared. You're going to lose out on a lot of jobs. There are so many other people. You're going to have to fight for what you want to do. You need to be specific and coming from him. Yeah, that, that is incredibly important. And I'm not sure that they had ever heard it put quite so forcefully. Mm -hmm. He was very forceful in saying this. So that was cool. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Just the other day, I ran across in some article a little, like, quote from one of his books talking about his early days. And he was saying, um, you know, on Tuesday, you'd you'd get a job. Wednesday, you'd do the job. Thursday, you go looking for a job again. You know, there, mm-hmm. there was no let up. Constant. Just yeah. a constant stream of things. And doing things simultaneously right Right. so you're you're preparing for a thing but you're also looking for the next thing Mm -hmm. and probably going on auditions at the same time that you're getting ready to do the thing that you've already booked and he wrote episodes for some of those early television things Mm -hmm. yeah he mentioned that Um, he talked about all the experiences that he had so he said he taught he said some of the things that we had heard recently like he talked about brando and he talked about olivier like yeah i heard that from you before (laughs) (laughs) Um, he he did say this was great that the secret of Hollywood he says is that nobody knows anything. And you know what that's from? <laughs> what William Goldman's book uh, <laughs> about Hollywood? Yes, yes. yes. Well, it's true, mm-hmm. and Bill knows it too. Yep. He said the greatest minds in Hollywood are just guessing mm-hmm. at what is going to work. That there is no secret. That everybody is just kind of making it up as they go mm-hmm. along. And so, having confidence and being prepared is three quarters of the way there. Yeah, you just gotta feel like you could do it. So, it, it, I thought it was really, really interesting, and the kids really seemed to respond to it. Um, he said. He also said the realities of acting are that even him at this age, it's still living paycheck to paycheck, right? It's still it's still enduring a lot of rejection and fear and loneliness, being an actor. All of those things were there and they're still there. And he also said, which I thought was cool, was that in acting, in performing, 30 years of experience actually don't mean much. Wow. 
in other industries, like w the industry that I've worked in, mm -hmm. you know, I've been doing it for a long time. It does mean something when you say to people, I've been doing this job for 25 years, people are, oh, that's really good. And from Bill's point of view, when you say I've been an actor for 30 years and they go, that's great, but you don't fit this role. Bye. Yeah. It doesn't actually help you uh -huh. if the other circumstances aren't right. So that, again, was a really good dose of reality. Wow. It was great. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah, so uh, I'm just listening. I'm reading through Sherry's other comments. Let's see. Oh, so <laughs> Bill being Bill, he told some stories, some of which we'd heard before. But then he told a story that I'd never heard him tell before. And it was so weird and so crazy and so just where did it end up i don't even know what the point of his story was i'm going I, I recorded the audio i wasn't supposed to of his thing so i'm going to clip that story out and tag it to the end of this episode so everybody can listen to it because it's just it's nuts and i hope that i get to hear him tell this story again and see if the details remain the same it was about fishing in ireland and he, he was in the context of some of him talking about the, the next album that he's doing, the autobiographical album, and, and saying, this experience happened to me. And he goes on this long tangent that had stories within stories. And then he ends up saying, and how do you how do you come up with a song about that to the kids? He says this, thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> and the kids are going, this is the toughest class I've ever been in. thoughts you just told a story that didn't make any sense whatsoever <laughs> especially How am I supposed to respond? if these kids have never you know encountered him like outside of a star trek movie right, they don't right. know uh -huh. how bill tells stories yes. <laughs> god <laughs> oh god almighty so yeah that was that was great um so, so anyway that was really awesome and i'm glad that i sat in for it and i think it was awesome for him to do it and as you say he took it so seriously what a great opportunity for these kids to hear this kind of wisdom coming from somebody who's been around for a really long time so that's a report on that that is fantastic thank you for sharing that with us yeah. and i will need your notes for the final you know <laughs> I'm happy to, to pass I, I thought you would be. <laughs> so, so let's switch gears to another Bill thing that he did, which was just yesterday, which was a, yet another GalaxyCon, because he fucking loves doing GalaxyCon appearances. He really does. I think they're his favorite thing now. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's amazing. It's like he's never going to show up at a live con again. <laughs> no, it's just, I, I want to do GalaxyCon. It's really, really great. <laughs> it was... Um, same format as the other so mm -hmm. it was emceed by the same guy patty hawkins who i'm falling a little bit in love with he's really good he, he is does, good yeah he does a lot of these galaxy cons and i think he and bill have a real rapport now because they've been doing so many of them i was noticing that too yeah good good friendship building there so here are my notes i will just cover a couple things he shilled for the blues album of course quite a lot, uh, yeah and was very happy to say that it was sold out on amazon so that was good i think he might mean uh 
the vinyl one. Yes. Yeah. I, I think that's correct. Because yes. they, they only pressed, I don't know, 200, 500, something like that. Right. You know? Yeah. Limited edition. But it's out now. If you want to mm-hmm. buy it, uh, you can get the e-copy of it. The cover is terrible. I looked at that cover. It is the worst Photoshop job you have ever seen oh, God. in your life. Very, very, very bad. I haven't I, seen I think, it. I'll have to go to Amazon and look at uh, it. I think maybe he had one of his grandkids do it. Oh, or no. <laughs> this is bad. my grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> so you can make an album cover, right? Just take some Photoshop stuff and put it all together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> color wash over oh, it. Very God. bad. So let's see. He talked about that. He talked uh, about his pets. Mm-hmm. He talked about talking to trees a lot. He talked about Basil Rathbone. Yep. He he talked about. I was actually yelling at my screen. I don't know if you were, but when he got to this whole thing about trees and snails and all the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bill said, "I saw a snail without a shell recently," and I thought, "Yes, they're called slugs." slugs. <laughs> <laughs> but he appeared not to know this. Yeah, apparently not. Saying, well, he's a city maybe boy. They don't, <laughs> maybe they don't have their shells while they're mating. It's like, what are you talking about? They're just slugs. <laughs> And he talked about trees talking, and he wants to understand what snails have to say to each other. And he said that he had done a series with a guy named Michael Tobias some years ago where he traveled to different parts of of the earth and did these things. And I can't remember what it's called. And I was sitting there yelling at my screen going, it was Voice of the Planet. Yes. It was Voice of the Planet. And he could not remember it. And I just wanted to wanted him to know that. So, yes, he talked about Voice of the Planet, which is interesting because I haven't heard him talk about that very much. Yeah. Yeah. In in other interviews. So what were the things that stood out to you? Well, um, I want to talk a little bit about the song, I Put a Spell on You. Oh, yeah. Because uh-huh. uh, he showed the video, which is an animation. Yes. Uh-huh. And I didn't like it at all. I hated it. Okay. I hated it so much. <laughs> but here's the other thing. That is an entirely different audio track than what they released a couple weeks ago. Really? Completely different. Because remember I said when I heard it, it started out kind of, I put a spell on you. And I thought it was, you know, going to grow from that, and it didn't. This is a different track, because this started out, I put a spell on you. Yeah. You know, so I... That's bizarre. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's what really stood out to me. And the other thing that stood out to me, of course, is the wedding ring. So he's wearing his wedding ring, and he must have said "my wife" at least three times. Mm-hmm. I, it's got to it's got to be the 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 will and inheritance thing. I think you must be right. Well, and Sherry's right. So Sherry and I both, you know, agree on that. There, there's money involved. There has to be. Here is a very interesting thing. I don't know if you saw this, but there were at least two people in the chat that was going along the side of the screen. Mm-hmm. And anybody could ask questions in the chat, and yeah. I think they picked four questions out of it. And people were stupidly asked, "What's your favorite Star Trek oh, episode?" But, but, and it just was scrolling and scrolling. But there were people asking him about the ring and <gasps> really? his life. Oh, yes, and wow. one guy who asked like three times, who actually got a response from the moderator that said, "We will not be asking that question. Please don't ask again." So that was interesting. Yeah, I um, wasn't looking at the the chat at all, you know, because I figured most of it was garbage. And 
It certainly was garbage, but that just caught my attention because typically the mods don't respond in chat unless they're telling someone to shut up or booting someone. And then they specifically called out, do not ask about his marital status. So yeah, that was weird. Wow. Yep. And it's interesting that that part showed up in the chat. Yes. <laughs> he talked about white Comanche. Yes! Which I don't think I've ever heard him talk about before, except maybe in passing where he said about, you know, riding horses. But mm -hmm. he told a good story. And I never heard that story before. Did you? What was the story? I'm forgetting. He said that when he was doing that movie. Oh, about the horses? horses? I have yes. heard him tell that. Uh, did you? Because I never heard it before. Yes, I had heard that before where the horses like switched personalities or something, yes. you know. They went in the back of the stable where they have two metal horse helmets they put on with wires. And now you're the feisty horse and you're the nice calm horse. That's right. The, the feisty horse was called El Nervioso, yes, which yes. I thought was very good. So yeah, that, that, was, that was cool. I liked hearing about that. Mm -hmm. Then another thing that really caught my attention was that the question was about him learning to ride when did he learn to ride oh yeah and he told the story about him as a, a poor boy in montreal scraping up the money to go rent a horse for an afternoon yeah but then he said i think i've told this he said this i've told the story that i swabbed out the stables to make enough money to to ride this horse but that may not be true i might be making that up I loved that. I loved that. And the reason I love it personally is when I was, I don't know, 17, 18 or, you know, around then, I was telling some story and my mom said, you've told that story so often you believe it. <laughs> Burn, mom. <laughs> yeah. So... I think maybe he never even hid Leonard's bicycle, you know? Maybe. Who knows? It just calls into question so many things. Well, that he said, which I think it, we've identified a lot of things that are probably not true, but he does believe them. I think he mm -hmm. believes them when he says them. Right. And they're different every time. Yes. <laughs> slightly different every time. Speaking of things that aren't true, he talked, he said the story again about Basil Rathbone being, being in Billy Budd. And, yeah. And that... Rathbone was very nervous and forgot some of his lines. And that's true because we watched mm -hmm. it and you could see that there were parts of him stumbling over. But he repeated the story again that Rathbone, when he made his entrance, stepped into a bucket and couldn't get it off his foot mm -hmm. and was sort of struggling with it. That's totally not true. That never happened. <laughs> I mean, we watched it. Yep. It wasn't in it. And other people have watched it and said, no, that's not true at all. But right. he told the story again anyway. Maybe at one point Bill was on stage with someone who put their foot in a bucket on their entrance. Yep. <laughs> maybe. Could have been. Or maybe it just made for a really, really good story. Well, yeah. And that's important. Yeah. Now, he did tell a good story that I, again, I haven't heard before, but maybe you had heard before, which was in the context of Voice of the Planet. And he said, someone was asking him whether he believed in life after death or whether he'd had paranormal experiences. And he said, no, he's never had that experience. And he's always wanted there to be proof. And he specifically said, you know, if there's going to be proof, I'd like to see my father. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, but he's never had any of those. But he said... When they were filming Voice of the Planet, they went to the Himalayas, and there was a monastery there, and they were going to t 
talk to the monks and, and see what was going on and they had to camp out so they had tents and things at the foot of the Himalayas and he said in the evening he would go out in his bedroll to be out in the open mm -hmm. and hope that being out there in the quiet by the Himalayas and seeing the stars and just hearing the nothingness because it's very high up and there's no birds or anything mm -hmm. that he would get some kind of spiritual awakening and it never happened. Yeah. And he really, really wanted it to happen. And at that point he realized I don't need to be in the Himalayas. <laughs> if something is going to happen, I, this could be happening to me on the beach in Malibu yes. or in my living yes. room. And that was his realization. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a good story. He told it very well. Yeah. It was a very dramatic storytelling mm -hmm. of this little quiet moment that happened to him. And I really liked hearing that. Yeah. Yeah, I did too. And I had never heard that before. Yeah. So apparently there are still stories that he hasn't told us yeah. about his life. <laughs> Well, it, his life is so full, you know, and you got to mm -hmm. consider that smack in the middle, there's 10 years he doesn't even remember. That's, <laughs> this is true. This is very true. There were some other questions, but they were, I, I think I stopped paying attention at a few points because he was saying some of the same stuff mm -hmm. that we'd heard over again. And, oh, and he ended up by saying he doesn't understand space time which doesn't really surprise me because there are many things Bill doesn't understand. And space-time, I don't understand it either. So, no, you know. it's complicated stuff. Yeah. That's fine. Hey, did you know there's such a thing as time crystals? Uh, no. What are those? Okay, remember the Klingons had some? Oh, yeah. Do okay. they exist in real life? They Well, they the scientists have theorized for years that they do. And then I just sort of briefly skimmed the first couple paragraphs of an article where it instantly became much too complex for me. But they have actually, like, identified a couple, and they're when they're close to each other, they do something to time. They warp it or something. Oh, time okay. crystals. It sounds like it's – maybe they were just watching Doctor Who. Well, I don't know. Well, I don't know. <laughs> maybe they were smoking something really good. I wonder if they're expensive. I wonder if you could buy them. I have a I'd time like crystal watch. <laughs> <laughs> it keeps excellent time, yes, really. Except when it warps and then, you know. <laughs> oh my God. But I think that, you know, I sort of skim some scientific stuff every now and then. And it might have said uh -huh. something they thought those might be what create black holes. Oh, okay. Sure, I guess. I If they're saying it, then sure. Yeah, yeah. I can believe it. I can believe it. Let's just finish up by talking a little bit about the I Put a Spell on You video okay. for people. So two issues I have with it. I, I thought that the version that they goes with the video was just pointless. You know, mm -hmm. Screaming Jay Hawkins has done the definitive version of that. If you're going to do a different version, you got to make it different. Different, different, yeah. Different, different, like with a different kind of attitude and all of that. And it just sounded like Bill kind of imitating what that is supposed to be. And the, the one I heard earlier, uh -huh. which I'm going to have to look and see if I can find it. Yeah, um, please. Did not sound like that at all. It huh. didn't, you know, it wasn't all that gravity stuff. Yeah. Um, but the thing I really hated about it was uh, the barmaid dressed like the St. Pauli oh. girl with the giant boobs. It was like, oh, yeah. God. The point is, so it's animated, and it's supposed to be Bill, and it is a caricature of him as he is now, sitting there drinking a beer, and he sees this barmaid who is 
impossibly buxom, like her breasts are way bigger than her head. And he is thinking all the stuff that the lyrics say, and it's all in his head. So he doesn't, this woman isn't his girlfriend or his wife or anything like that. She's just there and he's fantasizing about her. And you see some people in the bar and he, in his mind, is getting more and more frantic about that. But it's all, it's all in his head. But it's, the animation is, is very basic and it just kind of focuses on her and her really, really big boobs. And it's, it's gross. It's kind of gross to me. Mm -hmm. I didn't like it at all. I thought they could have done a much better take and Bill seemed to think it was hilariously funny. He was so happy with it. Oh, well. (sighs) Yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't care for that, but I was also so, you sort of knocked over by a completely different version of the song then yeah yeah yeah, i'm gonna have to look that up yeah so i also listened to the track of uh the thrill is gone which is the other song that they had Mm -hmm. released and it's okay (laughs) it's i i understand what bill was trying to do but it's not good i don't think he really has a feel for it Mm -hmm. the whole point of that song the thrill is gone is is you're mourning a a love affair that's over Mm -hmm. and you're feeling really sad about it and bill just sounds kind of tired and annoyed he doesn't sound sad i know and he's you know he's such a good actor and has such good control of his voice i wish he had mentally like put himself back in the time which he has described and would fit the feel of this song when marcy left him Yes. And he felt so completely alone. Yep. And if he was going for that, it did not come across in the performance. Yeah. So that I was I was disappointed by that. I really was. I, I wish it had been better and I don't know about the rest of this album. You know, he's done a bunch of interviews. I was just reading one the other day. Mm-hmm. Here it is. And he acknowledges, he says, I started off with the handicap of being a white guy from Montreal, yep. Canada. Yep. <laughs> and yep, I, I get that. So it we can't say to people you are not allowed to do the blues Mm -hmm. because you're a white guy from Canada that's okay like learn about it and see what you're doing and a number of white people have (sighs) sung the blues successfully yes so plenty of them so yeah it's not that you can't do it it's just just that you didn't grow up yeah and maybe you just don't have a feel for that kind of thing and Mm -hmm. maybe maybe he's just really lacking that kind of guiding hand the way he had with Ben Folds when mm-hmm. he did the Has Been album. Yeah. Somebody who can really keep control of things. I'm looking at the playlist for the album, and did you know that um, there's a song with Brad Paisley called Sweet Home Chicago? So I know song that song. Chicago. That's a very yeah. famous song. I haven't heard yeah. their version yet, but I knew Brad was on this. Yeah, and a bunch of other good songs. There's Born Under a Bad Sign and uh, As Years Go Passing By and Let's Work Together and Route 66 and Sunshine of Your Love. So mm, all good songs. And he's got a bunch of really amazing players on a lot of these. Richie Blackmore and Brad Paisley and Pat Travers, who plays on the uh, I Put a Spell on You Mm -hmm. song and Arthur Adams and Steve Cropper, who is still amazingly playing. I can't believe it. He must be 100 now. So isn't a, um, what's his name? He has a bar just down the street from me. Famous blues guitarist. Uh, Albert Lee. No, no. Um, okay. It'll come to me. Isn't he on it though? Well, you don't know. I won't tell you the name. <laughs> Continue, please. <laughs> yeah. He has been doing a lot of interviews about this, and he repeated some of the same stuff that he had said in 
the GalaxyCon thing about wanting to do it and feeling like he he tried to study the blues and I don't know man studying the blues is that really how you get the blues isn't it more of a a thing that you osmose rather than doing research on I you know I have never made a study of the blues but <laughs> I think it's like most music people who say they hate classical music mm-hmm. you know have had this little exposure to it and went that's boring but it's an immersion process I think of it as very similar to learning a new language and if you just, you know, look in some books and listen to some tapes, you can learn a few phrases. But if you go to the country and live there, yeah. you know, you could pick up a lot. And, and it'd be, you know, better French than what you're getting off those tapes. And I think that's true with any kind of music, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I I agree. And Bill certainly has had enough experiences in his life that could translate into that kind of music like you're saying like when he broke up with marcy or Mm -hmm. all the other tragic things that have happened or when noreen died but the blues as a genre just doesn't seem to be the right format for him yeah but you know to to express i think some of it might depend on what he considers study because Mm. if for like a month or more you made it a rule you were not going to hear any music other than the blues and you weren't going to mm-hmm. listen to the same songs over and over, and you were mm-hmm. going to get advice from friends to dig deep into the catalog. And maybe at some point there is this, you know, wake up of, I get it. I get what's mm-hmm. going on mm-hmm. here. But there might not be, you know. Yeah. Not every kind of music touches <laughs> every person. That's right. And when you're William Shatner and you have a contract to get this album out and all these people lined up, there could be a chance that that album would happen anyway. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> not not making a judgment, just making yes, an observation. Yes. All right, let's, so we've been talking about Bill and all his stuff for a while. Let's take a little break, okay. and then we're going to come back with some other more Star Trekky things. Yes. So hang on, we'll be right back. Space, a final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Listeners, we would love to hear from you. Send us email at lookathisbutt at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook and leave us a comment. Tell us your Trek news. And now we're back. We're back. And uh, we have been saying for weeks um, in the podcast and to this person, oh, good, we're going to talk about that in the show. (laughs) And we actually are. We're going to do it right now. This is a right now, now, very good friend of ours from uh, fanficking days, Wildcat. And um, I I baited her story. She baited mine. Just delightful person. And she does live in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. So she said... I listened to your latest podcast, and I loved hearing about the movie set in Kentucky, which was, what is it called? The Tomb Devil's Revenge. 
Devil's Revenge. She says, yes. I checked. She did homework. And it was filmed in <laughs> Louisville. They must have found some locations nearby with caves, although I think of caves as being somewhat south of Louisville. We actually had a cave at the back of our yard that the neighbor's oh. son remembers playing in when he was a kid. Oh. But the entrance was blocked when this house was built. Maybe there was a demon in it, and that's why they had to close it up. I'm sure that the Aztecs visited there at one time, too. Now, something she doesn't I'm sure. bring up, but she told me at one point. Do you know who one of her little playmates was there in Kentucky? No. George Clooney. Really? Ah, that's amazing. I know. Okay, she also watched Star Trek The Motion Picture and has some comments, and I thought, great, because we never talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, the subtitles say that the Klingons are speaking Klingonese, <laughs> and she asked if I had ever heard that anywhere else, and I have heard it in at least one early episode. They actually say it in Trouble with Tribbles. Uh, when they're having, oh, is in, that in, they yeah, in the bar fight, when uh, I can't remember the Klingon who starts the fight, Michael Pataki, he says, uh, you know, the Federation mm -hmm. sucks and all the rest of it. That's why half of the, the fleet is learning Klingonese. Oh, right, right, yeah. She asks, is it racist to assume that all Vulcans are good scientists, i.e., the new science officer that gets scrambled by the transporter? And I'm, this is me talking now, and Kirk wanting a Vulcan in that mm. position. And for all the, the perfect ideal thing Gene Roddenberry had going on, I think there's a lot of racism about other, about aliens. But um, even, even like the first few times I ever saw Star Trek, which is going way, way back, I thought, wow, McCoy, you know, you can, you can pick on a person of another mm -hmm. race, Without always going for you, oh, pointy-eared Vulcan. He's you the worst. Green, he is know, just like, horrible, especially because he's he the ship's is. doctor. Like, that gives him a pass to be horribly racist like that. And, uh, yes. you know, I mean, we're supposed to realize mm -hmm. that underneath his gruff exterior, he would do anything to save Spock and all the rest of it. But it doesn't excuse the daily aggression. I'm, I wouldn't even say microaggression. It's just plain aggression, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about the Vulcans being so science-oriented, I mean, there is the Vulcan Science Academy, which kind of implies that that's... But how do we know there's not a Vulcan Music Academy? It's true. There might and be... a Vulcan School of the Dance, and, mm -hmm. you know, all these different things. Yes, I, I agree. We just don't ever hear about those things, so we don't know. Uh, let's see. In, in the... one of my silly stories, uh -huh. I can't remember which one it was, I had something about um, Kirk didn't know Vulcans knew all that. He thought they were just good at math. <laughs> <laughs> which is probably true. I, I, <laughs> yeah. you know. I, so in the most recent episode of that I watched of Lower Decks, there was a Vulcan. Mm -hmm. I yes. don't think she was the science officer, though. I think she was just... An officer, like yeah, I don't think they called her the science officer, but she was no, cool. They didn't. I, yeah. I liked her very much. She was good. Yes, here's my favorite comment that Wildcat sent. McCoy does a lot of coming and going from the bridge, evidently <laughs> just to share a significant look with Kirk and leave. 
So true. I swear to God, you know, when I'm watching Star Trek now, regular old Star Trek on TV, and McCoy is just like lounging around the bridge, I am constantly yelling at the television, what are you doing? Get back to work. Why are you just hanging out on the bridge shooting the shit with Kirk? Like, get out of here. You're on you're on the clock. Yeah. Go do some science. It's like somebody with a, a really, really boring job. So they just, you know, they just got to get away from it for a while. So they go down to shipping or something and hang mm-hmm. out with the guys there. Exactly. Like, I, what is McCoy's day like, right? You know, he's down, he's down in sick bay. Maybe there's a couple people with some problems and he kind of, you know, is like, okay, chapel, do this, 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 and this. And then he's sitting there at his little chair, his mm-hmm. desk. And he's like, well, I don't really feel like doing anything. I guess I'll go up to the bridge and see what's happening with Jim. And then he gets up there. He's like, hey, what's going on? And anything fun happening? What are you doing after work? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I also think um, McCoy has a crush on Kirk, too. Oh, yeah. I would say so. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. It's just, it's crazy. But I have to say, I watched wolf in the fold that was on this past week Uh i haven't seen that forever and that's a weird episode of course i was all i could think about was the belly dancer (laughs) and and william shatner but the best part of that episode still my favorite part of the episode is right at the end when mccoy has injected everybody with the tranquilizer or whatever it is Mm -hmm. and uh the dead body of uh uh what's his name the the guy who's red jack Who's the voice of Piglet? Oh, yeah, <laughs> uh, Jack the Ripper. His last name, John Fiedler. Yeah, that's him. Um, okay. So he, 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 so he gets up and he's got the knife and he's like, "I'll kill you! I'll kill you!" And McCoy, because he's just had this drug, he just walks right up to him and he goes, "Hey, give me that! You're gonna hurt somebody with that thing." And <laughs> DeForest Kelly is just so good. He's just so casual and so funny and just like that's such a McCoy thing to do mm-hmm. is to walk up to someone who's about to stab you with a knife and go. You're going to hurt somebody with that thing. It's great. It's the best moment in the episode. Um, and he, McCoy has another great moment like that, which is in Space Seed, when Khan is going to cut his throat. Yes. Oh, and yes, he yes. And he tells him where the carotid artery is. Yes, yes. He's you know? great. He's very, very good. I wish they had given him more of that and yeah. less, less uh, being racist towards Spock. That would have yeah. been... That would have been really nice. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I feel like I should watch the motion picture again. You can get the extended Hello? version of it now in, in various formats. Like, you don't have to buy the DVD. I think they put it on TV or, or Netflix or something. Mm-hmm. It might be worth it to, to watch it, despite I, I will never get over the horrible, you know, barely there dress that they put um, Aaliyah in with the Mm -hmm. high heels, with the plastic high heels. Like, why? Gene Roddenberry, get your greasy hands off of this thing, okay? (laughs) We know. We know all about you. We know your fetishes. Stop. Just stop. So shall we, what, catch up on Lower Decks? Uh, Sure. So I don't have a whole lot of very specifics to talk about, except that it's still great. It is. It's, oh, I I watched like four episodes, I think, Mm -hmm. last night, and it's just so good it's wonderful and the voice actors are great and i love the character development that they're really getting into showing you a little backstory Mm -hmm. i i liked seeing mariner with her friend who's now a captain that that was a good story that was a great story that they all thought mariner was going to be the first captain from their class yeah yeah. 
So I thought that was good. And her friend keeps saying to her, what happened to you? Why are you like this? And she's basically saying, I don't want to talk about it. So I feel like mm-hmm. we're going to find out at some point what happened yep. to yep. make her into this person. But it was great. And I loved, I, I don't know if you caught this, but it was just a throwaway line where Mariner's complaining of, before she knows it's her friend who's the captain mm-hmm. saying, oh, no, we're going to get a babysitter captain to come over here. Just yeah. another Jellico wannabe. And I was like, <laughs> Ah, what a burn what a burn really she so, knows her history she does she really does it was so good yep <laughs> very very funny so i didn't watch the one where uh, q makes a cameo but i understand that he's in that and uh, oh oh it is funny it is funny and it, his very last line is very funny so i won't spoil oh, it for good. anybody yeah. that is good that's great and the the last one that just dropped, people said it was very intense, and I haven't watched it yet, so I, I the, don't know. Uh, that's the season, like, closer? I think it, either the penultimate one or the last one, yeah, people say Because there have been several articles, and I've been skipping them, <laughs> because <laughs> I want to watch it, about one episode in particular, and the little bit I read made it sound like that was the... Uh, the season ending oh, so okay i will watch some of that tonight yes the episode that was very interesting to me uh, plot wise was the one where the the subplot was um when boimler gets i think it's the same episode we were just talking about but boimler gets put through the transporter and he comes out weirdly phased at the end yeah and then he gets put on the ship of of other people of who freaks. have had horrible <laughs> transporter accidents and yep. um they get shipped off to a planet and that one really subverted expectations several times through oh, the yeah. through the whole thing which was great you know like at first mm-hmm. you they're put on this thing and and you think that it's going to be all evil and then spoilers it actually turns out that they are going to a paradise planet in the end which was really good <laughs> i uh, know it's so weird it was a weird weird episode but and and just calling out the tropes like the guy who's in charge is is really mean and threatens them all the time mm-hmm. and then when they get to the planet they're all surprised and they said oh but we you were so mean to us and we thought you were going to kill us and, and then he's like well i guess i should have been nicer maybe it's my appearance maybe i shouldn't be yelling and threatening you with weapons <laughs> so much it's like it's great yeah i love, I yeah. love and and i love that there were uh like three or four guys in chairs wheelchairs like like chris pike yes and, and they were all beeping the, and later when they're on the paradise planet their chairs have um hawaiian shirts draped over them yes. so it's like they're wearing them oh, my oh God, it I was so hard. good and also the dog that tendy invents is <gasps> oh, so my, good oh i loved that dog and she names him the dog the dog yep and i like yep. when the dog turns into a cube and just keeps thumping around the ship and then yep. at the very end when she has she has to say goodbye to the dog and leave the dog on mm-hmm. the 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 hospital planet and it turns out that the dog can talk <laughs> you could talk the whole time He's like yeah of course i could <laughs> and, and stand up and fly and fly and the dog flies away and she says oh you are a freak after all and the dog yes. says, yeah i know i love it <laughs> <laughs> I 
was just really happy that there was a dog. <laughs> it was. It was. It was happy endings all around, and that yes. was just so good. There were no lessons to be learned. It was no. just happy endings, and that made yep. me so happy. So very, very happy. I I will say I have so some of the freaks. I will say the word freaks because that's how they called them on, that's in what the they show. Called them. But they were victims of horrible transporter accidents and various other things happening. Some of them were recognizably from other things. Like there's a, I think it was a, a woman who ha- her head was shaped like a crescent moon. And that was clearly from those old, horrible, um, God, what were they ads for? It was the guy with the, the crescent head playing the piano. Was it Jack in the Box or something? I can't oh, remember. Oh, God, I'm not remembering that at all. Yeah, and, and it was a nod to that. And there were a couple others. But I... For for people out there who watch horror movies, it very clearly recalled to me a lot of the freaks that were in a movie called Basket Case Two, <laughs> which I remember seeing. Which was oh my it, goodness, it was like a comedy horror movie, and and there were some that were directly lifted from that for sure. Oh God. Yep. Hmm. So go lower decks, and it still to me feels completely like Star Trek, right? <laughs> Absolutely, but you know what? I, you know, every now and then somebody will post something about God. Just kill lower decks. I hate it. And I'm thinking, part of why we love it is it's got this feel of fanfic to it. Totally, yes, totally. You know, just just you know, poking at things and going, mm-hmm. that makes no sense. So let's make it bigger and it'll be funny. You know? It, yeah. It, it completely is. It, it does remind me very much of, of the silly fanfics that we used yes. to write where crazy things were happening and, and mm-hmm. you could just do anything. It, it, I was thinking about that when I was reading this article that you sent, which is called is Star Trek lower decks canon. Here's how to settle the debate. Yes. The, the article kind of says yes it's canon the powers that be have to say yes pretty much it's canon i think it's a stupid question right it is it's like because we well and the other thing is i think it's pretty at least in my mind fairly well established that if it's produced by the people who own the rights to star trek mm-hmm. it's canon it's canon yeah we, it we you know i mean we ignore certain things like tmp and enterprise and you know stuff like that but it's all canon uh, it it should be canon and i i loved that the beginning of the article starts off with here are some reasons why some might say star trek lower decks isn't canon uh the characters are too flippant about new alien life forms and break protocol too often <laughs> really they break protocol like that never happened in every single episode of tos yes <laughs> Yes, and that's that's the established pattern. It's more than just canon. It's uh, that's right how they there do from things. the moment of birth. You know? Yes, exactly. Number two, some of the senior staff could be perceived as amoral and or self-serving egotists. Well, I think we've seen that in every single Star Trek series that we've yeah, ever watched. Yeah, yeah. And then the last one is just dumb. The uniform style and com badges don't seem to correspond to this moment in Trek history. Who cares? Who really? cares? No one cares. No, no one, one cares. No one cares about that i want to read this little thing though that i clipped from that article because it's sort of a little you know sideline or sidebar it said in peter david's new frontier novels which are not canon and i'm not trying to say they are he asserts the premise that some people at starfleet command didn't actually believe half of the shit kirk reported (laughs) in his logs (laughs) 
The idea was that some of the missions of the Starship Enterprise, think Space Lincoln in the Savage Curtain, <laughs> were too outlandish to be true, and that Kirk embellished his logs. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and then goes on to say that on-screen evidence Kirk did. Yes. Because um, but he, uh, he reports Aaliyah and Decker as missing. Mm-hmm. He mentions that Mitchell and Dr. Daner died in the line of duty. Mm-hmm. And, it, and then he says, if there is an objective viewpoint in Star Trek, which is really debatable, <laughs> then Kirk's actual captain's logs are unreliable. Oh, completely. He lies in his logs all the time. <laughs> I think we have come to expect that. So I saw somebody, I think maybe it was a response to this particular article, but they were saying there were several theories about this, right? So first mm-hmm. of all, it could be that when Starfleet sees Kirk's logs, they just go, oh, it's Kirk. <laughs> just don't, yeah. whatever. Don't believe anything he says. Well, they don't read them until <laughs> they have their regular boys' night, you know, beers at the uh, end of the week. Okay, let's read Kirk's latest log. Right. <laughs> uh, the other possibility is that this is par for the course in Starfleet and that everybody's logs are as crazy as Kirk's logs and his mm-hmm. don't even register as a blip, right? They, they see them and they just go, sure, he saw Space Lincoln. Well, you know what? That other ship over there, they saw Space George Washington or something. <laughs> and this is well, how it Well, I was kind of thinking maybe they really aren't mission logs. What are they? I, it's just something Kirk writes or dictates, <laughs> you know? And also, this isn't lying, but I am sh- Okay, this brings up another question, but I am sure if they happened, he does not report all the goings-on with the beautiful girls. Oh, no, of course not, no. But then, did he make them up? <laughs> uh, is space really just full of ugly aliens who find humans repulsive? Oh, you know, don't we know. don't see that too often. You know, aliens who are like, don't touch me. Yeah, yeah, there should be more of that. I, you know, if you look through the history of Star Trek, when Kirk is with beautiful women, it's mostly just the two of them, isn't it? He doesn't do that in front of other people. Well, no. So what if all his romances with these women is all just a fantasy in his head and they never actually happened? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Kirk is a patient in an insane asylum. <laughs> and, you know, it's not the, the 23rd century. It's contemporary. Oh. And he's living all these adventures in his head. Oh, I think that was And the then plot. a guy next to him goes, you know, it's an older bald guy. And he goes, that fellow looks like he's having fun. <laughs> I shall have a starship too, you know. <laughs> I think that was actually the plot of a, a professional fanfic that I read once. <laughs> I, no, seriously, I think it was very, very close to that. But but really, wouldn't it be funny if, you know, Kirk, like, he, he gets to, to do it with all these women, you know, like Dila, mm-hmm. right? Where he actually does do it with her because we see her fixing her hair and he's putting on his boots. and But mm-hmm. nobody's there to actually see it happen. And then afterwards, he's telling McCoy about it. It's like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I did it. I got with her. And McCoy's like, oh, again, he thinks that he's doing these things and he's really right. not. Well, and maybe he's just like a junior high kid 
who's bored in mm. history class, so he's writing his own stuff. He is. He's just And he, you know, instead of being this sort of pudgy, pimply kid, he's this really hot, hot guy that mm-hmm. all the chicks want. <laughs> and he grows up and turns into a best-selling author. That's right. That's good. I like that. I like that as an alternate history of James T. Kirk. Right. And you see, this is why they always cut away at the kiss, because that's the point at which the teacher goes, Jim, are you listening? Or mom yells, Jim, dinner. Just a minute. I'm coming. Hold on a second. He takes his notebook and throws it under his bed real quick. Yeah. He's like Brandon. (laughs) I can't take out the garbage now. <laughs> to save the universe. <laughs> oh, man. The possibilities are endless. They are. They really are. Well, I'm glad we got to talk about that because I'd never actually thought about that before, but I think mm-hmm. it's a strong possibility that he's making up a lot of shit. It's very possible. Well, and it's it's kind of like I always suspected at my last job that in order to hold on to their jobs, whenever some new like communication software came along, like Teams, even though we were all perfectly happy with what we were mm-hmm. using, mm-hmm. they'd say, We gotta we gotta change to this. Because now they automatically have jobs because they've gotta convert everybody, they've gotta train everybody. So you can't just go out to space and go, We mapped stars, nothing happened. You've gotta make it sound like you making discoveries and having adventures and having first contacts and bringing these aliens into the federation so you can keep your job right exactly you got to show productivity very important to show Mm -hmm. productivity. it's called managing up that's right yep well speaking of that but not (laughs) really let's talk about this last article which i thought was really good Um, oh the secret recipe yeah this this was a good article it's called yes it's called the secret recipe for making a star trek movie work and the premise of this article is that star trek movies should focus on old age and death and i really like that i think that's a good premise and we have discussed before that that's what makes the 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 original trek movies so good oh my god yes the cat the cast aged and were allowed to age and that the movies themselves dealt with all of the problems that come Mm -hmm. with being older in a world that that continues to move forward really quickly sometimes without you and it was such a perfect thing because the fans had age so we can continue to relate to it Mm -hmm. you know kirk not wanting to wear those little glasses yeah and I, I just, I love that. And then, you know, it's, it, it kind of winds up, let's skip generations because we don't want to yeah. think about that. But in Undiscovered Country, that Kirk, because he is the person that he is, is so out of touch with the way everything else is going, right? That mm-hmm. he's this old guy who still hates the Klingons and can't get over his racism and just can't do it. And everybody else can. And he gets left behind in more ways than one. Yeah, yeah. Such yeah, that scene where story. he asked, where he asked Bones, "Are you afraid of the future?" Yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's very very good, uh, and I hadn't really thought about the Next Generation movies in mm-hmm. the same sort of way, but it's true they did the same thing. The cast Picard is doing that. Yeah, and and now on TV, Picard is doing that. So there's room, right? There's room mm-hmm. for the old people and the young people, and I like that there's room for everybody. To, to be who they are and I like that even in Discovery they're allowing 
older characters to be a vital part of what's going on. Not everybody is 22 years old, right? Yep. And and clearly Pike is an older, more experienced captain. He doesn't look like he's 22 years old. He looks like mm-hmm. he's been around the block a few times. And he's he has... got some gray in his hair and that's yeah. so sexy. Yes, he has a lot of gravitas. So I, I really like that they're allowing that to happen. And it, it is much more, uh, to use a terrible word, much more relatable, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons that we all hated those the the J.J. Abrams movies so much is because... Because now they were all children. They were children who didn't take anything seriously. It's an interesting article. It's a funny article. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, this is when they yes. talk about Wrath of Khan in the, the scene at Kirk's penthouse. <laughs> they continually reference how old Kirk is getting, and McCoy gifts his friend a pair of reading glasses, presumably because giving him a personalized tombstone would be a little too <laughs> on the nose. <laughs> Yep, that was really good. I also like this. In the voyage home, um, it uses time travel to put the crew in a position where they feel confused and out of place in the world. Adding to the parallels with early dementia, Spock spends the entire movie in a bathrobe. (laughs) (laughs) And he's confused, yeah. He's very, very confused. So good. Yep. So I agree with this article. It is very good. And I hope that they continue to do this with the the new things that are happening. Now, Discovery is going to be starting pretty soon. Uh, Mm -hmm. Maybe even next week. I don't remember. But it will be soon. And we'll be talking about it when it happens. And it looks like it's going to be very exciting as they get thrown forward into uh, 900 years in the future. Yep. I hope that the sound balance is a little bit better and that the explosions aren't quite so loud. That's yeah. what I want out of that that new series. Yeah, you know, and it, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about much earlier in the podcast, but, you know, the more they move away from the stories being about actual human beings, mm-hmm. you know, who do age, who do make mistakes, um, the less Star Trek it becomes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were doing that even in the the wonderful episode, The Ultimate Computer, mm-hmm. the yes. M5 with Dr. Daystrom, you know, yeah. and how realizing how sad it is to have peaked early. And when you get, like, to Wrath of Khan, you got to wonder if Kirk looks back on those conversations, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Because from the point of view of Wrath of Khan, he peaked early. Yes, very early. Mm-hmm. And then what was he going to do with the rest of his life? Yeah. You know, I th- thinking about Discovery, I think the best parts about Discovery were the characters, obviously, solving problems. And mm-hmm. I've and I think we talked about this when we were reviewing the episodes, is that the, the most boring parts were the space battles, you know? Mm-hmm. I know that they need to put them in once in a while, but couldn't they not do so much of that? Just because it's a show that takes place in space, do we have to see giant space battles and ships blowing up and mm-hmm. pew, pew, pew? I don't know. It, it's, you get so inured to it because it's in, as we were saying, every single movie that you ever go to see, uh, I feel like they don't need to do it. And watching original Star Trek now, you're sort of struck by how much they don't do that, right? Yeah. Yep. And at the time, I think it was because it was expensive and they didn't want to do it, but the the fighty stuff is used very sparingly when they're firing on ships or the battle 
it's also, that's part of what made Star Trek so different and so unique. And those are the stories Roddenberry wanted to tell. And the people who successfully wrote for that show and produced for that show and directed understood that idea. Mm -hmm. And they were like, yeah, let's do that. That's much more interesting than shooting and, and you know, ships and yep. stuff. Agreed. Well, as usual, we're right about this and people should listen to what we have to say. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> so um, before we close, I just wanted to mention one thing, which I'm sure you noticed. But when Bill yesterday in GalaxyCon was talking about trees talking and being mm -hmm. able to understand trees, and he said, and then there's this network that goes throughout the whole world and it's like how mushrooms grow. What's it called? I can't remember what it's called. And the people in the chat were freaking out because of course that's the whole plot of discovery, the mycelial network with the yes. mushrooms. And it's like, <laughs> Bill, it's the, the discovery. Yeah. Why can't you remember it? It made me but laugh. You know what? People who, uh, who study trees, maybe they're called arborists. I'm not mm. sure, mm -hmm. but they have found that trees do communicate with each other mm -hmm. in 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 some way like through their roots or whatever but um yeah well it makes sense i mean there's mm -hmm. there's no reason that they wouldn't and right well communication you know, is big and we you know you can see communication very easily in bees yeah you know i mean that's like obvious their their hierarchy and who goes and finds uh, pollen and comes back and through the little dance tells them all this is where the pollen is and, yeah well, you know. this is this is the lesson of Star Trek, right? Is that mm -hmm. humans tend to have a very narrow view of things, and getting out there and exploring is very, very good because it shows us that communication can be many things, and life can yes. be many things, and we need to learn from that. This is the other thing I like about Star Trek. It's about going out and exploring and learning, mm -hmm. and not necessarily exploiting, right. which is what history tells us discover or exploring has yes. been yes you know exactly. this is a new place let's steal all their stuff you know yep. exactly exactly so yep i like star trek it's a good show and i really really like watching it it's so comforting long live star trek yes so let us know your thoughts, listeners, about various things. If you attended uh, any of Bill's recent GalaxyCon appearances, we'd love to hear about it. And get ready for Discovery, because it's going to be happening really soon. Yay! Yeah. And uh, by the time we do the next show, hopefully we will have finished this season of Lower Decks, which will be yes. kind of sad, but, you know. Oh, so good. It's, it's been... It's truly been a blessing to have that during all this time oh. of confusion and worry to just sit down yes, and agreed. have a, a good laugh with um, the Cerritos crew. Yes, totally agree. It really takes your mind off of things. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's very good. So I uh, hope you're all well and safe and, and doing okay. Like I said, we made it through September. We're going to make it through October. We can we can do this. Yep. So um, everybody, wash your hands, wear your masks, stay safe. Uh, and until the next time, live long and potluck. Potluck. Um, I'm writing with uh, a lyricist and a composer. Um, in fact, I'll throw this out to you. Maybe you, you, you'll be able to help me get an idea. So we're writing an album, of auto, an autobiographical album. I've got a blues album out there now, and we think it's pretty good. It's getting great reviews. 
the next recorded thing I'll do is, is music of events in my life, put to essentially poetry and music. It's really avant-garde. So the lyricist is looking to me to provide story material. What's the song about? So I've been providing him story material. So I was thinking, what's our next, what's our next, uh, what happened to me that would make a song? And then I thought of this. I don't know what the song is. So I'm going to tell you what the event is. And you tell me what the song is. I was in Ireland. And, um, and we met a man who was the town fisherman, small town. And they called him the gilly because he wore, he would wear to hunt and fish a gilly suit, which is, I don't know where it comes from, but snipers in the field when they're, when they're in war wear a suit of disguise so they can crawl around the ground and they're part of the ground. Part of what a sniper school is is to be as unobserved as possible. So they fit the ghillie suit to the surrounding uh, vegetation and they'll take this burlap, these burlap sacks and stick local vegetation in it. So it changes with wherever you are and they creep along and they're, they're, the, they're the ghillie suit. So this ghillie, and so the guy who wears the ghillie suit in a small town is called the ghillie. So this ghillie who wears a ghillie suit to, to obfuscate, to hide, and I'm saying those words deliberately, took me and my wife to a stream where we had fishing rods and took us to a stream and we said, come with me. And we walked alongside the stream and every so often the bush would part and there'd be somebody in the stream wearing waders, casting, trying to get a fish. And the ghillie would say, ah, how there you are. How are you doing? I'm fine, ghillie, I'm fine. And we'd walk on to the next. How you doing? I'm good. And he oh, no, nothing. And he would go, we did half a dozen times and finally we found a space that we could go in and we walked in. We had waders, walked in. We were fishing for about 15 minutes, no bites. And I said to the ghillie, there's no bites? What's that? He says, oh, there, there are no fish. What? He said, oh, no, no, all those people, they're members of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we come to the stream to just to be secure and have something to do and be nice out. And so we're, there are no fish. The, the, the acid balance when the English cut down all the trees for their ships 200 years ago, they planted trees that make the streams a different acid balance so the fish don't come here. So there are no fish. So here was a guy who had a suit that hid behind a suit, took us all out on a, on a, a event that had no end to it, there was no object to it, and yet there was in that the people suffering from alcoholism had a respite, had a, a peaceful moment in this stream, although there were no fish. So I'm struck by the fact that there's mystery and mystique and, 
and seemingly foolish things, but they aren't foolish. It, there's a song there, but I don't know what it is. Any ideas? Yeah. <laughs>